Hey, I, I just want to take a second uh, tonight, maybe, and speak just a little bit of a word of encouragement. I, I was, matter of fact, a couple of weeks ago, I had the opportunity to go out and visit around a couple of churches. I was sitting in a sister or a neighborhood church in our area a couple of weeks ago, and one of the things they stood up announced, I don't know how accurate uh, this was, but I believe they said in Time Magazine there was a report of taking uh, the economy and the number of jobs not in place, the cost of living, all of those factors and saying, okay, which, which states are the toughest hit, the hardest to make a go of it in the United States? And as best, and this person stood up and said that according to that, uh, Arizona was number 49 out of 50 states. The only state that it was harder or worse than us was Mississippi. And you know that anytime you and I get close to Mississippi, that's a problem. So, uh, but I, I just want to say out loud to you guys, I get it. I get that this has been a long season uh, for all of us in the economy. And then you add in to that, um, some of us just have other stuff going on in our lives, in our marital relationships, stuff going on with kids, uh, stuff going on at work, even though we have a job. And this just feels like, I don't know about for you, but it feels like for me, it's just been, it's been a long enough season. And uh, I just want to encourage you in the midst of this, even though you've got a crazy pastor who stands up on Sunday and says, go be a David and slay your Goliaths and all that stuff. You get that God does his best work in us, in the dry, arid, tough seasons. That in those moments that feel to you and me like the desert moments of our lives, and very often when you're in the desert, you don't feel like much is happening or much is being accomplished. But the surprising thing about the desert is that when you get to the other side, you suddenly realized God did incredibly precious work in your life. That he grew you up, he matured you, he put you on display, and others were drawn to him. I just want to tell you, encourage you tonight, that your and my very best happens in the toughest moments of our lives. You and I grow the most, and God gets the most glory. So I'm not telling you to be happy, I'm not telling you to be thrilled, I'm telling you to say to God, hey, you know what? If this is what you've called me to, then I simply choose to live this moment, this season that you've brought in our lives, unbelievably well. I'm going to do this with deep depth of character, and I'm going to do this to your glory and allow you to do whatever you need to do in my life during what feels like a desert season uh, within me. And I think you'll be surprised what God can accomplish with a willing heart See, the reality is, guys, you never really know who you are until following Christ gets tough. And then you know. You know the depth of your maturity. You know the, the strength of your dedication. See, it's, it's, a, it's easy to follow Jesus when the sun is shining. You figure out who you are real quick in the storms of life. So I just want to encourage you, live this well, do this well. Give glory to Him. Be faithful to Him. Let Him do whatever work He needs to do in our lives right now through this moment. Okay? Hey, also, uh, just before we get started too, I want to tell you, it's fall break coming up. Does that sound familiar to some of you that have kids? And uh, fall break, uh, we take kind of a break on the deal. Fall break starts next week. 
So for the next two Tuesdays, we won't be meeting. Never, we'll come right back as soon as fall break is over um, and start right back in. And so, but just so you know, the next two Tuesdays, we'll be taking fall break along with the school thing, okay, on that. Let's have a word of prayer. Let's jump in. Let's get started. Do I have my microphone question people tonight? Yes? No? All right. One? There? There. Okay, good. All right. And uh, so let's have a word of prayer. We'll get started. We're actually making some ground. I think we had four verses last week, so that was pretty good. All right, let's pray and we'll get going. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the privilege of tough times, of less than great moments in our lives. Because we're, we're willing to acknowledge, even though we wouldn't have chosen tough times, that very often your sweetest work, the most powerful life lessons, the greatest demonstration of your ability happened in what feels like our toughest moments. So God, whatever the work is that you need to do in our lives, whatever you're trying to teach us in this moment, make us good students, help us to learn. But God, at the end of the day, please, please promise that you won't waste any of the pain, that you, that you won't miss any of the tears, and that you will receive glory, and we will be more like Jesus because we were faithful to you in this season. This we ask, and we ask that you help us tonight as we study your word, that we would absolutely leave this place changed and move forward in our walk with you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and if I've got it right, I think we made it, we're in verse 6. Does that sound right to everybody? Yep, okay. Okay, so here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 6. Here's what Paul says. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for the glory, for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. It's interesting. We, however, do not speak a message of wisdom. We, we do speak a message of wisdom among the mature. But not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. What is some of the... what? Paul would call wisdom of this age, or you and I might call worldly wisdom. What are some examples of worldly wisdom? Okay, so right over here somewhere, someone, all right, worldly wisdom. What would be an example of worldly wisdom? If it makes you happy, do it. Okay, if it makes you happy. Look out for number one. Look out for number one. What else? Worldly wisdom. Everybody's right. Everybody's right. That's you know, you know, whatever works for you. Boy, wouldn't how would you like that if the cashier had that attitude when she was giving you back change? Whatever works for me, that's what I give you back. What else is worldly wisdom? Forgot. <laughs> we forgot. Okay, that may be good. 
What else? What are some other examples of worldly wisdom? Got a couple in the back back there. That people are generally good. People are generally good. We're all animals. All animals. Anything else? Survival of the fittest. Survival of the fittest. If it feels good, go ahead and do it. If it feels good, do it. Okay, so you get... Paul here, as he starts out, is saying, Hey, look, uh, we came to you with a message intended for the mature. And this message, this message for the mature, is not going to line up with the wisdom of the age. And really what Paul's going to come and, and as he goes through this chapter, begin to say to you is, guys, you're going to have to figure out real quickly, what is the voice you're willing to listen to? Who are you going to allow to speak into your life? And you ready? Whose wisdom will you choose to align your life with? Will you choose to align your life with God's wisdom or will you choose to align your life with worldly wisdom? And the problem actually that happens for most Christians is that our answer ends up being maybe a little bit of both. Maybe, maybe I'll take a little bit of, that's the world, a little bit of the worldly wisdom and maybe I'll take a little bit of spiritual wisdom. And whichever one makes the most sense to me, that's the one I'll use. So if I'm in the midst of doing business, and I don't think Scripture quite understands or gets how business works, then I may choose in that moment to use worldly wisdom in my business. Or if I'm dating, and I don't think, I think some of the things that are in Scripture are old-fashioned and out of date in dating, then maybe in my dating... I'll end up, I'll use a little bit of worldly, I mean, you've you got to do what you've got to do. But, you know, maybe I'll go ahead and attend church. And, you know, maybe I'll serve a little bit because, you know, I, that, that kind of makes sense to me that that's what we're... And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to make this hybrid of whatever, whatever on this side seems to be, makes sense, whatever on this side makes, and, and that, that's how I'll navigate my life. Does that work? Does that work? Why not? Why, why can't I do this? Nobody can serve two masters. Okay. No one can serve two masters. You will either end up loving the one and hating the other or hating the one and loving the other. Why else does this not work? Because it will um, lead you to staying alive in boxes. Because uh, you'll, you'll have this spiritual life in one box and this, Christ, and this worldly life in another box. So you'll always live a hypocritical life. Okay. This is, this is the first and surest step to be a hypocrite because what happens is I'll have my business box and I live that like any other secular person lives it. I've got my dating box and I live my dating life like any of my friends who don't know Jesus live it. But then I've got my church box, and, I, and I've got my serving box. And, and you realize what happens is, is when people watch how I live in my business box and how I live in my date, they go, you're a hypocrite. You say you're a Christian, but you don't do business like a Christian. You, you say you're a follower of Christ, but you don't date like a follower of Christ. Why else does this not work? Um, you limit God and how he can use you. 
You limit God in how he can use you. Go, go further with me on that. Well, there may be people in your business life or your dating life that you're not meant to, well, like in your business life, there may not be people, there may be people that you are um, supposed to be reaching and affecting. Uh. And um, if you put, use the world for them, then you're not allowing them to see Jesus in you and Okay, so I, I think that's great. There will be people in my business life who I'm supposed to be in some of those hard spiritual decisions. In other words, when I give that bid, is it going to be an honest bid? Or when I do that work, am I going to do everything I was supposed to do? Or am I going to cut a corner? And all of a sudden, I, I was supposed to be letting them see Jesus. And instead of seeing Jesus, what they're seeing is a sneak. Remember we started tonight saying, hey, sometimes the hardest moments are my best moments in life. You realize that some of your hardest moments in business, the min- moments you have to live with integrity that's beyond anybody else in business that, doesn't, that has integrity in that moment, may be the moment that someone sees Jesus in you. And the moment you live without integrity may be the moment in which they... You know the number one reason why people don't come to church? Anybody know the number one reason? They've met a Christian. Number one reason. And here's the thing, guys. Something about this. Whenever people tell you that, they didn't meet a good Christian. Because if you met a Christian who was on fire and serving Jesus in absolute obedience and had lordship figured out, you'd be attracted. to You'd be saying, man, there is something going on in that person's life that I cannot explain. I may not agree with it, but something is there. This is the Christian they met. They met the Christian and they said, wow, Really? That's how you do business, or that's how you do dating, or that's how you do friendship, or whatever that moment is within our life. That's how you do that. They met a Christian who said, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to do some things because worldly wisdom still makes sense to me. It, 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 just, it, just, it just sounds right. And guys, here's what you need to get. You get that worldly wisdom always sounds right. It always sounds right. That's why it's worldly wisdom. Matter of fact, okay, I don't know how to, I don't know how to do this and come back, so we're going we're gonna to do it. Okay. Give me some spiritual wisdom. Give, give me some stuff that are spiritual wisdom principles. Tithe. A tree is known by its fruit. Huh? Tithe. tithe. Okay, tithe. But even, even different than tithe, it's give and what? It'll be given to you. What else? Spiritual wisdom. A tree is known by its fruit. It's what you do, not what you say. Okay, I don't know if I would classify that as spiritual wisdom. Okay, but I, I like it, and it's true. I just don't know if I'd do it as spiritual wisdom. Principles to live life by. Die to self. Huh? Die to self. Die. Get this, get this one. Die so that you can live. What else? Spiritual wisdom. Love one another. Huh? Love one another. Love the Lord and what? Love what one Oh, another. love one another. Hey, remember, remember the old, what's right for me and me first? And God would say, love what? Love your, love your neighbor as yourself. That's that. How about, how about, um, uh, okay, you keep going. I'll remember the one I was going to say. Those who are last will be first. Oh, the last shall be first. Okay, so let, let's, just, let's just stop. All right, we got another one? Okay, go. Um, forgive as oh, God yeah, has that was it. forgiven you. Forgive 
As God has forgiven you. Okay, and let's even go further than that. I have to forgive the way God forgave me all the nice people of the world, right? Everyone. What does Scripture say? Forgive your enemies, even if they haven't asked. Now, guys, stop, stop. Let's just be honest. That sounds stupid. Doesn't it? I mean, let's just be honest. Spiritual wisdom sounds kind of dumb. And if you and I spend our lives saying, look, I'm only going to do what God asked me to do if it makes sense to me. You get you will struggle all your life with God. Because I'm just going to tell you, how many, how many people in this room say, there has been a moment in my life, there's been an issue in my life where I have struggled to forgive somebody? Okay, how many of you would say, when I first heard some pastor open the Bible and say, forgive your enemy, even your enemy who hasn't made an ask, that my first thing was, wow, that's the smartest thing I've ever heard. How many say that? That was my initial reaction. You get that, that it just goes against every fiber of who we are. How many, how many people would say, I got to the point where I, I decided because it was what God said, I forgave the person who'd wounded me, and it was one of the best decisions of my life. How many people would say that? Okay, so you get, so you get, you get where we're going. Spiritual wisdom, it doesn't, it doesn't work because it makes sense to my human heart. Spiritual wisdom works because it's true. Because God knows how life and us and how He wired us, and He knows that better than you and I do. That's why it works. And not because it makes sense. And here's here's what I'm just going to suggest to you. If you and I live our lives saying, okay, I'm going to obey this principle of God because I, th- I think it makes sense to me, but I'm not going to listen to what he says about dating or what he says about business or what he says about tithing or whatever that option, I don't care what that, that issue is. I'm not going to do that because that one just doesn't work for me yet. It doesn't make sense for me yet. You get what you're doing in that moment? You're saying, look, Okay, God, I think you know what you're talking about on this, but on these three topics, my dating life, my tithing life, my business, I think I'm smarter than you. I think you're off your rocker, God. And I'm pretty sure, get this, I'm pretty sure I'm smarter than God. Is that an amazing statement? Is that, what depth of arrogance does that take? Even more so for those of us who are the children of God. Okay? So it's not a matter of you approving God's wisdom. You will always be wrong when you ignore it. You will always do it to your failure when you don't do it. And the reality is what you and I need to come to is to go, you know what? God is always right. And every time I disagree, I am always wrong. So I choose never to disagree with God. I choose to do whatever He asks, even if it makes no earthly sense to me. I will do that. Okay? Let's go back to the passage. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature. Okay, so based on what we just said, who do you think the mature are? If He's speaking wisdom and the mature are getting it, who do you think the mature are? Huh? 
I, I assume it's not Corinth at this point. It's not Corinth. It's not the church. It's not of Corinth. Corinth. Yeah, it's not Corinth. Who would be the mature, based on what we just said? We said there is earthly wisdom, and we said there is spiritual wisdom. Who are the mature? The ones walking in spiritual wisdom. There you go. The mature are the ones that said, there's where my life belongs. I will live my life on every occasion, on every account, in the midst of spiritual wisdom. How mature is this person? In other words, they're going, they're going back and forth. What, what, did, what did James say about a double-minded man? All right, grab your Bibles. Let's go. Book of James. It's going to be to the right. Double-minded man is chapter 2. Help me out. Help me find it. Chapter 1, verse 6. Okay. Chapter 1, verse 6. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because if he doubts, he is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. The man should not think he will receive anything from God, for he is a double-minded man, and he is what? Unstable in how much of his ways? All of his ways. Because on every occasion, he's trying to decide, do I trust God or do I trust my own wisdom? How spiritual is that guy? Here's the answer. I don't know. But not spiritual enough. He's double-minded. He will spend his life, she will spend her life arguing with God. Not spiritual enough. It's a bad place to be as a Christian. Halfway in between. Committed and live in the old way. Back to the passage. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom to the mature. In other words, these are people who said, look, I get it. I get that God is smarter than me. I get that he understands things better than me. I am going to live by my life by spiritual wisdom on every occasion. I am not smarter than God. I'm not going to tell God that he's wrong and doesn't get it, doesn't get my circumstances, doesn't understand 2010. I'm going to live my life with spiritual principles. But not the wisdom of this age, not that old wisdom, or the rulers of the age... Who are coming to nothing. What does he say happens to people who live with earthly wisdom? They come to nothing. He says, guys, you get, you get that people who live their entire lives based on uh, live for yourself. If it feels right, do it. And all the other things that we listed together. The people who live by those values, people who live by earthly wisdom, it says, hey, in the end, here's what you've got to believe. Their lives come to nothing. They lay on their deathbeds and they say to themselves, I wish... I wish I had done this differently. I wish I hadn't wasted so much of my life. I wish I hadn't been so deeply selfish. I wish. People who live by earthly wisdom, Scripture says, come to nothing. Why is that? Why is that? Why is it that people who live by earthly wisdom come to nothing? All right, so let me ask the question differently. People who live by earthly wisdom, what are they trying to get? 
They're trying to get possessions. What else are they trying to get? Power. What else are they trying to get? Satisfaction. Satisfaction. What else are they trying to get? Notoriety. You know what's really weird about the culture we live in? Do you realize we live in a time where you can be famous for being famous? Isn't that weird? How can you be Paris Hilton? What has Paris Hilton ever done other than be famous for being famous? It's just, it's a bizarre moment. And yet, how many of our little girls want to be noticed and would do anything for that fame and ready for that approval? And the reality is we live in a culture where we're watching our little girls do anything for approval. What else are they trying to get? Things that pass away. Okay. And there's your answer, guys. Okay, so here's why, here's why Scripture says they come to nothing. Because here's what I'm going to tell you. Earthly wisdom, sometimes you get possessions. Not every time, but sometimes you do get possessions based on... You can, you can rob, steal, cheat, cut enough deals, cut enough corners, and sometimes you end up with the biggest pile. Sometimes. Sometimes you can step on people's necks and do whatever you have to do and, and rise above... And sometimes you end up with power doing it the worldly way. Sometimes you do. Sometimes you end up with, and I'm going to argue, but moments of satisfaction, seasons when you go, hey, I'm, you know, I'm pretty darn content. I've got the boat. I've got the car. I've got, you know, and you end up with moments. You go, I'm pretty satisfied with myself. You end up with moments of fame. You get your five minutes of glory or whatever it is, and everybody says, boy, you're wonderful and you're a great person. But here's what you got to get. Every one of those things, you ready, is not worth your life. It's not worthy of you because every one of them fades. Anybody remember the cool kids in high school? Was anybody in here the cool kid in high school? Could you just raise your hand so we can all hate you? Okay, all right. Can I just say out loud I was not the cool kid in high school? Remember, remember how big a deal that was? I mean, you made the football team or you were the cheerleader and... Anybody remember where those people are today? I mean, after they worked so hard, did so much, got all of these things within the context of those four. And then a horrible thing came. It was called graduation. And they went to college and nobody knew who they were. And life got equal again. Remember that? You get that you and I have a thing called death. It's the great equalizer. And when you get to the end of your life, you cannot take a single one of those things with you. And spiritual wisdom would say, you live your life for those things. You live your life to build that list. You'll have nothing. Because it's the wrong list. It's not worth your life. Spiritual wisdom says, no, 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 no. You live your life for the approval of God. You live your life that when you walk into heaven, your heavenly Father looks at you and says, that's exactly what I hoped you'd do. Well done. And that's worth living for. That's worthy of your life. All of this fades.
which means, guys, and here's what you got to get. If I never have a big pile of possessions, and if I never achieve power, and even if, you ready for this? This one's going to scare us. Even if in this life I never feel satisfied, you, you get that's not the plan. You get that, right? That who cares? Who cares if you're never satisfied in this life? That is not the goal. The goal is that you lived well and are honored in eternity. And if you are never known, if you live your entire life in experience, who cares, Scripture would say, as long as your Heavenly Father took note. And all those who are living in this world for earthly wisdom, Scripture says, are living for nothing. It's one of the reasons you don't want to live your life halfway in between. You don't want to be going back and forth between the two. Okay, back to Scripture. Verse 7, No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Okay? What's he talking about? What's he mean when he says, No, we're speaking about a, wis- a God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that was hidden and that God had destined for our glory before time began. What, what is he talking about there? It's kind of strange. What is that secret wisdom? The plan for salvation. The plan for salvation. That Jesus would die on the cross, be our Savior, redeem us from our sins. That's what nobody... Here's what he's talking about. As guys and gals read the Old Testament, they had no idea this was the plan. They had no idea this was going to how it was unfold. And a matter of fact, he then goes on to say, and look, the rulers of this age didn't understand it. They didn't get it. Why? Because they were living by man's wisdom. And so when the Messiah came and was right in front of them, spoke all those words of truth, they didn't recognize him because they were running all of life through the filter of earthly wisdom. And what Jesus was saying when he was saying, love your enemies and do good for those who hurt you and and forgive those and and lay down your life that you would find your life. And when he, they they went, that's crazy. That's crazy, Jesus. And they didn't recognize that he was actually God come in the flesh because they weren't ready to hear spiritual wisdom. Guess what they did in that moment? They ran his words through earthly wisdom and it didn't make sense and they missed him. And here's the irony of it. The rulers of the age, who were the rulers of the age that rejected Jesus? Who were those rulers? The Pharisees. Okay, surely you had the Roman rulers, but the incredible part, I think, is this one. The spiritual rulers of the day did not recognize Jesus. How is that possible? And here's the answer. Because they were living their lives by earthly wisdom. Hey, guess what they were, guess what they were seeking? Power, prestige, money. And because the spiritual rulers of the day were living by earthly wisdom, they could not even recognize the Messiah when he stood in front of them. Guys, if you and I choose to, lose, to live our lives by earthly wisdom, you and I will miss God. Okay, And I'm not saying you won't be a Christian. I'm just saying you'll miss all the blessings. You'll miss all the things he's trying to do. Because here's the answer. Jesus isn't standing in front of us today. 
you and I actually have to seek spiritual wisdom by getting into the Word of God. And if you and I are going to constantly evaluate whether or not we want to agree with Scripture as to whether or not it makes sense to us, you will miss this. It's not here for your approval. It's here for our obedience. Okay, back to it again. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. What does that mean? What does that mean? That God's plans aren't our plans. Okay, God's plans are higher than our plans. Okay, what else does it mean? The, uh, the best things that you could, you've seen, heard, felt, done are nothing compared to what God's got waiting for us. Okay. My, the best of my imagination is nothing compared to what God has for us. Mine kind of goes with his. It's no, no eye has ever seen heaven or, or what's in store okay. for us there. No eye has seen heaven. That as people, as human beings, we can't fathom the notion and that we need to trust, obviously, we can't pretend to know what God is or, you know, I mean, I don't mean know what God is, but it's so above our minds, so we just need to trust. Okay, so let me, let me ask you this. As this verse unfolds, is it talking just about heaven so is it saying look if you're faithful to god if you follow god you have no idea what the rewards are that you're going to get into heaven is it saying that yes no okay how many say yes i think it's saying boy if you follow god if you obey god you have no idea the rewards and the goodness and the things god has for you how many think yes i think it's maybe saying that okay three of you uh how many say i don't think it's saying that okay three of you so the rest of you are scared to death uh, to give your opinion. Okay? All right. So how many of you say, I think this passage is actually talking about what God has prepared for us on earth? How many of you say, I think that's what it's talking about? How many say, no, I, think, I don't think that's what it's talking about? How many say, I still am not going to raise my hand because I'm scared to be wrong? Okay, good. You're honest. Good. Huh? Where's the both? Okay, so let's do that. How many think it's both? Okay, I think you're right. I think it's both. I think, I think in that moment when he's saying, hey, and get this, let's read this. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has even conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. And I think it's heaven. I, I, think, I think there's a part of this that says, look, you have no idea what is waiting for us on the other side. Because you know you, you get you get that we live as Christians in this in this belief that says there is a place that is more real than earth. It's heaven, because earth is going to burn up. Earth at some point won't even be here anymore, and there is a place that is more substantial, more real, more important than earth. It's called heaven. And I think part of this passage is saying you, you have no idea what God has prepared. You have no idea what God has waiting for you there. But I think it also is applied to here on earth. That you have no idea, your mind has not even considered what God has planned for you 
has conceived for you on earth. So let me ask you a question. If that's true, if God has a plan for me on earth that is beyond my imagination, how would I get to that plan? I mean, I'm just thinking, if God does have this amazing plan for us that's beyond anything we may... I don't want to miss that, do you? So if that's true, that God has a plan for you and me here on earth that is beyond anything I've ever imagined, how do you get to that plan? Okay, so we, we got... Okay. We'll get him back. All right. Okay. All right, there we go. Yeah, um, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. So as we seek the word and we seek Christ... That's how we we gain that. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Wouldn't that be the same thing as spiritual wisdom? Yes. Wouldn't that be me basically coming to a point that says, look, every time it says it in the Bible, it's right. Every time I disagree, I'm wrong. And therefore, I will live every moment of my life in absolute and utter obedience to whatever Scripture says. Are we there? We're good with that, yes? Nod your heads, okay? Even if you don't agree, nod your heads because it's the right answer, okay? And, and, in addition to this, anytime I hear and feel the Spirit tugging my life to make a decision, and, and in those moments, especially in the moments when I know it's the Spirit, and you've had those moments, right? You've had the moments you go, I know what I'm supposed to, I just don't like what I'm supposed to do. But I know what I'm supposed to do. And in those moments, if I live those in obedience... So if I obeyed Scripture on all accounts, and if I followed the Spirit every time the Spirit prompted, I'd get to the plan, wouldn't I? Because that's where God's trying to take me, is to the plan. So how do you miss the plan? How do you miss the amazing thing which God has planned for you in this world? There we go. Uh, I would say by not being obedient and not honoring God. There you go. Every time I live my life by worldly wisdom, every time I say to God, I think I'm smarter than you, you don't understand it, I I know that's what you said in Scripture, but I'm not going to do that, you and I miss the plan. You and I miss the plan. So guys, here's here's what I'm just going to say out loud. If you're sitting here tonight and you've got a portion of Scripture that you know is true, and you are choosing in this moment to say, look, I'm just going to live in disobedience. I just don't, I, I'm not ready to obey that. I'm not ready. You, you realize you're missing the plan. You're missing the plan. You, you, you will not experience that. You will not know that amazing thing, the unbelievable thing that God is trying. You will not because you're missing the plan. And I would suggest to you that the scariest thing a Christian can possibly do is live their life in disobedience to what they know God has asked them to do. Because you'll miss the plan. Um, can I go back for a minute to sure. the Pharisees? Okay. Um, how were they supposed to recognize Jesus and not be expecting an earthly king? Like, were there people before Jesus preached that did understand that? Or... Okay, so how did the Pharisees miss him? How did they... Right, because they were looking for an earthly king to like sure. take over the Romans or something. If you go back scripturally and you go to the Old Testament, there, there is prophecy after prophecy after prophecy 
about Messiah coming. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. Uh, he's going to be born of a virgin. Um, he's going to be of the tribe of Judah. Uh, he's going to come and he's going to remove his people's sins. And the reality is, is that when you go back and look at the the prophecies of the Messiah, the vast majority of them are salvation prophecies. Now you get that there's also the prophecies about establishing the kingdom of Israel, which we all know is going to happen, tribulation and millennial reign. But there was enough prophecy there that they should have gotten it. And matter of fact, part of one of the prophecies was is that there would be a prophet who would come before the Messiah, one like Elijah, who would stand in the wilderness and say, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Get ready because he's coming. Did that happen before Jesus came? Yeah, his name was what? John the Baptist. That's what Jesus said. He is the one that had to come before me and prepare the way. So God even sent a messenger ahead of Jesus to say, get ready because Messiah is getting ready to walk in the room. Get ready. Here he comes. And the Pharisees didn't like him either. Remember that? So they had the opportunity. They had the scriptural knowledge. The problem was, guys, they were living, they were living according to earthly wisdom. They were living their lives, chasing everything. Now, they were doing it religiously, but they were chasing everything that the secular world was chasing. Power, money, satisfaction. And they were just simply were trying to rub a little God on top to get there. And guys, you get, God doesn't exist to make your and my life here better. That's not why He exists. It's not. You and I exist to follow Him. He does not exist to be your leprechaun, your lucky charm. That's, and you just need to know that every pastor that gets up and says, hey, do this, and then God is going to be your genie and give you what you want, they are lying through their teeth. They may not know it, but they're lying through their teeth. The very, very best followers of Jesus Christ often suffered the most. This is not about making life easy. This is about following Jesus and being like him. Yep. Two notes, Pastor Lynn. The first yep. thing is on suffering. Um, we talk a lot about that in our, um, our circle. And there's the other part to it. As deep as the adversity is within suffering, there's also huge blessing sure. that we're given. And a lot of times we forget that. So yeah. I just wanted to emphasize that. Okay, so do receive that. what is the blessing of suffering? Because you just said suffering has a blessing. What's the blessing of suffering? I, I'm agreeing the rela- with you. The relationship that I have with Christ and the way that I know him. Okay. All right, so grab your Bibles. Let's go real, real quick because this may be... How much time do we have? Ten minutes. Huh? Ten minutes. Ten minutes. All right, so here we go. We're going to land this in the last ten minutes. Romans chapter 8. And guys, you and I have seen this passage a hundred times. You and I quote this to all of our friends every time they're going through trouble. And you and I do not understand this passage very well. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 and 29. Here's what it says, okay? Don't, don't right now let your familiarity with this passage spoil it. Because you and I have misinterpreted this passage all over the place. Okay, here's, here's what it says. And we know that in all things God works for the good for those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. And here's, we stop right there. And so we say, hey, look, God works everything for good. 
And here's the problem. How do we define good? We define good if I'm happy. Okay, I just changed colors. All right. We define good if I'm happy. How else do we define good? We define good if I make money. We define good if what? Huh? If I win. If I win, then it was good. But if I lose, it was bad, right? How else do we define good? Huh? I got what I wanted. Okay, I got the girl I wanted. I got what I wanted. Or possessions. And if I don't get the possessions that I wanted, then it must have been bad, right? There's how you and I define good. And if you define good that way, you're going to hate God. Because here's the answer. God does not define good that way. He doesn't. Matter of fact, God doesn't define good as being healthy. Because if God defined it being healthy as good, then every person in here tonight who's sick is apparently unloved by God. Every child who's born either with autism or some form of of mongol, then God must not love them because He's not being good to them, right? And here's what you and I got to get. How you and I try to define good is not how God defines good. And you and I are, in this moment, when we define good that way, what are all those things? Earthly things. Earthly wisdom. And if you and I hold God accountable to give us those things, and if God doesn't give us those things, He's not being good to us, you are thinking like a pagan. Because this is what every pagan hopes his God will give him. Earthly wisdom. Read verse 29. Let's go back to 28. For we know that in all things God works for good for those who love, who love Him, who are called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be what? Conformed to the likeness of what? His Son. You realize that God just redefined good. What is good according to God? To look more like Jesus. To look like Jesus. And as far as God says, that's good. Which is why suffering can be good if it makes me look more like Jesus. It's why being sick can actually be good if it causes me to go deeper in my faith and trust God more and become more like Jesus. And, and guys, think about this. If God believes that this is the most important thing, is that you look like Jesus, and He looks at your life and says, you know what, they're so caught up in themselves, they may never learn this lesson. They may never look like Jesus unless I make them sick. Then wouldn't the most loving thing that God could do to you be to make you sick? What if God said, you know what, they're trusting their job more than they're trusting me, so the most loving thing I could possibly do is take their job away so that they can learn to trust me more than their pocketbook. Wouldn't taking your job away then be the most loving thing that God could do? The most good thing He could do to you? And the very moment that caused you and I to curse God... (laughs) was actually God's goodness to us. 
Lynn, for a piece of coal to become diamond, it takes heat and pressure. So for us to be conformed and be like Jesus Christ takes heat and pressure and time. Okay, so you jumped ahead. That's good. Thank you. Okay, and so there is my closing illustration. It, it pays to be my wife. All right. You get where diamonds come from? A diamond started out not as a diamond. It started out as what? As coal. And here's the interesting thing. You find a chunk of coal laying on the side of the ground, and that chunk of coal is somewhere near worthless. Who cares that you found a chunk of coal? I mean, coal is common. But you take a chunk of coal, and you add heat, pressure, and time. You can turn a chunk of coal into a diamond. Guess what God says? You take a stubborn, unwilling, worldly Christian, and if I add the right heat, and if I add the right pressure, and if I take my time, I can make that Christian look like Jesus. And that would be really, really good. So guess what? God believes that the best thing that could ever happen to you is look like Jesus. Guess what three things he's going to bring into your life over and over again? Heat and pressure. And he's going to take his time so that he can make you and I look like Jesus. And is it possible that the very things we have cursed God for, the very things that have challenged our faith, were the goodness of God to make us like Jesus? And that the reason we didn't recognize it was because we were thinking in earthly wisdom. It didn't give me money. It didn't give me power. It didn't give me status. It didn't give me a new sea-do. It can't possibly be good. So I'll close with this. I'm a nine-year-old boy. You guys know my testimony. I'm a nine-year-old boy. My dad uh, has a relationship with another woman, takes off out of my house. And as a nine-year-old boy, I shake my fist at God and I say to God, God, look, you're a bad God. This cannot possibly be good. Ever had that conversation with God? What's happening here is not fair. My friends' parents aren't getting divorced. This can't be right. It has to be wrong. And God, you're out of control. I will tell you that after my dad left the house, my dad went into a sin spree that other than homosexuality, I'm not sure there's not a sin that my dad didn't do. I mean, you make the list, he hit the whole list. It wasn't until I was 15 years old and God was calling me to ministry that I began to maybe for the first time understand and I thought, you know what? If I had lived the last six or seven years of my life with that man in our home and he had been living like the devil and as much as I worshipped my dad I've got a feeling I'd look more like my dad than I did like Jesus and maybe the biggest blessing that God ever gave me as a young man was letting that man leave and I thought it was God's curse I almost walked away from God and told God I wouldn't follow him anymore because he'd made such a big mistake in my life. It surely couldn't be good.
And I'm going to suggest to you tonight that because we live so much of our life in earthly wisdom, because you and I have defined good the way the heathen define good, that you and I may have spent much of our life cursing God for what was actually His favor on us. And we have missed becoming like Jesus and being that diamond. We've missed those things that God had planned for us because we thought whatever would God planned for us had to include fame and glory and money and 2.5 kids. And No, it doesn't. It has to look like Jesus. And whatever makes you and me look more like Jesus is good, even if it hurts. We're there? We're scared out of our minds? Okay, let's pray. We'll be done. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, we just come before you tonight. And God, we'll just be honest. We're, we're having to reconsider. We're, at, we're having to go back into our life and maybe even look at some moments that we thought you failed us. Moments that we thought you let us down. And realize that those may have been teaching moments in our life. Those may have been moments that you allowed to happen because we would never be like Jesus without that pain in our lives. God, some of us are going through moments right now that just feel like you've lost control, just feel like that maybe you've gone off somewhere and are ignoring us and you're not being faithful to us like you should. And what we've missed because we've thought about in this thing in earthly terms and in earthly wisdom, we've said, look, my bank account doesn't look right. My relationship account doesn't look right. Surely, God, you don't understand. This cannot be good. And yet the very thing in my life that I'm struggling with and that I don't enjoy and that I'm maybe the very thing that's making me more like Jesus. It's helping me to trust you more. It's helping me to learn how to be faithful. It's helping me not to learn to lean on earthly things but instead to lean on you. This time of hardship may be the best blessing of my life. It may be the best thing you've ever done for me. And God, we're just going to ask that you would peel back the scales that are on our eyes, the things that make us think like people who don't know God, and let us begin to see with what the Bible just called tonight mature wisdom and see that sometimes your best work is in some of the things that we never even imagined you were doing. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, thank you so much. Two-week break. We're back, okay? So don't, you know, mark your calendars. Don't miss it. Okay, we want to get back in here with a, with a bang.